Ladies and gentlemen, sit back and get comfortable. But not too comfortable. It's the WCHL Podcast with WCHL Commissioner Christopher Perry and Andrew Majorkirk. Well, all right. It's me, Christopher Perry, the WCHL commissioner back again. This is our third episode here on season five of the WCHL podcast. Flying solo again because uh, Andrew and I are not uh, technologically capable of figuring out how to get three people on the phone line as opposed to just two. And so uh, Andrew's the odd man out. Sucks for him, but uh, good for us. Means we don't have to listen to any of his baloney. Uh, hey, this is uh, this is supposed to be a great year for the WCHL. We were had uh, we had expanded from seven teams to ten teams by accepting three teams from the West: the University of uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, Grand Canyon University, and the University of Utah. And so we figured, well, we're, a lot of us aren't playing any games here uh, through the fall semester. Let's find out a little bit more about some of those new teams. So it's. Uh, it's my honor today to have a good friend on the WCHL podcast. He's from the University of Utah. Hold on there, AJ, because you have quite the bio here. President and general manager of University of Utah Hockey, a level four certified coach. He's been with Utah Hockey now for 14 years in various capacities. And he also wears a bunch of other hats for the uh, ACHA and within the ACHA. A.J. Bolden is on the other end of the line. A.J., say hello to the 11 listeners that we have. Good evening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here, Chris. <laughs> you're, so, you're so relaxed, A.J. You're amongst friends, okay? I'm I not, know. It's we're, all good. You know, there's no bullets, no arrows. <laughs> Just chillax a little bit. So tell, tell me, Utah is not... Is, is one of the 10 programs in the Western Collegiate League and one of the 60 in ACHA Men's 1 that is not playing hockey this fall. Correct. So what, is we a, are, what does A.J. Bolden do? Well, we've been obviously prepping for the season whenever it begins, and that means we've prepped a few times. Uh, just like every other ACHA program, we had held out hope that we would start again in August and uh, be – couple weeks into the season uh, so far and I think um, we were supposed to host uh, Oklahoma uh, for our season opener and then last weekend we would have been at uh, UNLV so we're we're all lamenting the fact that COVID has impacted our um, hockey in general and luckily enough we're we're holding out hope for January start uh, in the meantime, we're, we're doing a lot of off-ice training, and uh, we've had a lot of transition this year uh, internally. And luckily enough, we we're, we're, uh, have, have a new coaching staff, and we're just all excited to, to get back at it and be part of the WCHL. Uh, listen to you buttering me up. I like it. So, see, <laughs> that's where you're supposed to giggle and laugh, AJ. I am. Yeah. Chris, uh, I'm laughing. It's been a good, <laughs> decent, decent day. So, so tell me, uh, what's uh, University of Utah there in Salt Lake City? Um, 
what are, I guess, what's the state of the coronavirus, the COVID restrictions? What What is it that, um, whether it's the city of Salt Lake or the state of Utah, what are they uh, requiring of you? What are they allowing you to do, if anything? Well, yesterday, the governor of Utah um, implemented some new restrictions, um, which include masks uh, pretty much for everything and any any outdoor dryland session that um, we've been participating in um, is we're just wearing masks and, and trying to be good citizens when it comes to that. Uh, I do know that we're trending upward in case count. I think today's was just under 1500. So that's never a good thing, but hopefully we can turn that around and, uh, and get back to it. Cause again, you know, we, we all got to do our part so we can participate in the game that we love. What, uh, are, are, are you guys able to get on the ice and skate at all? Or is that something that's uh, still locked down in Utah? Uh, yeah. So our home rink is the Salt Lake city sports complex, which is a city owned county run facility. Um, and we're privileged to be there. It's a wonderful place that was built for the Olympics, a training facility. And we have not had access to privately rented ice uh, since COVID hit in March. And so we're being creative as best we can and doing what we can off the ice and really just trying to, to grow, grow our team and uh, support our student athletes along with our freshmen who are obviously walking into a, um, a season like no other, if you will. But um, I think there's some hope that the county and city will uh, ease restrictions when it comes to private ice in the near future. But, you know, it's every day's a, every day is different and hopefully we can um, find a way to get it done. Cause I know there's several other programs in the ACHA that are still playing games and obviously they uh, have an advantage when it comes to ice time, but you know, we're doing the best we can here in Salt Lake city. Is, is the, is the rink uh, you said it was built for the Olympics. That was what 2002 when the winter Olympics were there in Salt Lake. Correct. So it was, I think the, the Salt Lake City complex was finished in, it was either 2000 or 2001. And uh, it's, it's a double Olympic sheet facility and it is, it, it's wonderful. Again, we're, we're really privileged to be there and uh, it has uh, not only a couple of gyms, but Olympic size outdoor pool um, and various other things that just makes it, makes it wonderful. And it's all part of the Olympic package, if you will, where, um, you know, there were lots of games at the, what's called at the E center at the time. Now it's called the Maverick center and, uh, what was called the Delta center, which is now called energy solutions arena. Uh, so there's, there's lots of pseudo rinks in town and, um, hopefully we're again, you know, just, just proud to be here. And I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but <laughs> trying to make it through, Chris. No, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> well, let, let me ask this um, because it's, I was going to ask you if it's an Olympic size sheet or if they've downsized it to a regulation sheet. But it, it's an Olympic size sheet, so it's what two hundred by one hundred. Correct. And uh, it's by by my estimation, I would say it's probably one of the few Olympic size sheets. In the uh, ACHA, uh, it might be the only Olympic size sheet in the ACHA uh, in the Western Collegiate Hockey League. Um, sure. Do you find that to be an advantage, or a, or do you find that to be a disadvantage, or 
what what's your take on that? When you have you play at home on an Olympic sheet, is is that an advantage for for the Utes, the skating Utes? I think it is. Uh, we have two advantages, not only with the Olympic size, but the elevation. And luckily for us, we train at ele- ele- excuse me elevation, and it's. Uh, I, I think it helps us in, in many fronts. But you know the the Olympic sheet discussion slash debate is is ongoing, and for us at home, it gives us a little more room, uh, and it allows us to um, not only skate and understand the size of the rink i think it's easier in short i think it's easier easier for us to transition from olympic down to nhl than it is the inverse and so when we travel uh typically we you know try and get a practice ice in and our practice slot in and uh, really dial in the the dimensions because you know the, the hash marks are a little off and you don't have as much room to maneuver and I think um, that that aids us at home and uh, allows us to, to transition properly while we're on the road. Yeah, I would think um, I would think it would be easier to go from an Olympic sheet down to a regulation size rink than the than the opposite, as you said, the inverse. Um, yeah. Simply because you're used to you know, you're used to skating harder, faster to you know get that extra fifteen feet as opposed to. If you still put the same uh, effort, you know you're uh, you're that much closer on a regulation rink. Agreed, absolutely agreed. Interesting. Okay, well, very cool. I, and I knew that uh, like Weber plays uh, their men's division two. They used to be men's division one many many years ago, and they play up on an Olympic sheet. I thought it was an Olympic sheet up there in Ogden. Yep, uh, because that's Every- where the curling facility was for the Olympics. Correct. And so if you want to talk hockey, uh, Utah State plays on Olympic, Weber on Olympic, BYU on Olympic, uh, UVU is on Olympic. So there's technically only one, well, there used to only be one sheet of NHL size, and that's where the ECHL Grizzlies play um, in West Valley at at the Maverick Center. Uh, But Weber did add a second sheet to their facility, and their second practice sheet is NHL size. Huh. So, uh, for the majority of ice rinks here in Salt Lake, along with um, the Olympic Oval, which has uh, a sheet in addition to uh, the speed skating facility, uh, every every ice uh, facility in town or in the state of Utah is Olympic size, and that includes Park City as well. Really? So the park, the the rink up in the mountain is is Olympic size. Correct. And is that a direct result of the 2002 Olympics? Um, I I would suspect so. I think where Salt Lake City really thrived when it came to the Olympic movement was being able to create facilities that would be used beyond the Olympics. And I think that's what added to their financial stability and what made it a true success for the state and was allowed so many... uh, so many more generations of whether or not it's figure skaters or hockey players or speed skaters or uh, long jumpers. Uh, I think there's our ski jumping. Uh, all those facilities are used all the time. And uh, like the USA ski facilities up there are, are bar none and they're, they're constantly used. And I think that that speaks a lot to the Olympic committee and their foresight when it came to 
Olympic sports in, in Utah. And I guess the, the, the Salt Lake committee for building the, uh, building the facilities and then keeping them, uh, keeping them going. It's not, not the same story that you hear from other Olympic facilities that have just fallen into disarray around, around the world. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree, Chris. Wild, wild. All right, well, now riddle me this, because I know you're a Minnesota guy. Yes, how, sir. how in the world does a guy from Minnesota end up in Utah? Well, that's definitely an interesting story. I, I'm i here for it. <laughs> I am here I, for it. In another life, I was pursuing a career in film. And so uh, I, I wanted to go to film school, and I just love my parents to death. But I got into University of Southern California. I got into University of Utah and University of Miami, all for their film programs. And I remember showing my acceptance letter to USC to my father. And, you know, he, he did his best to, to do what he could and as along with my mother. But long story short, we couldn't really afford L.A. and we couldn't afford Miami. So it was either stay in Minnesota or head out to Utah. And I chose Utah. All right. I thought you were going to go uh, Sundance on us. Well, there's that too. I mean, I, I studied film, graduated with a film degree and an arts technology degree and uh, stumbled into uh, the field of medicine and uh, that's my day job. And then obviously hockey is a big part of it as well on the side. Interesting. All this stuff is starting to make sense. You see, this is, this is why I like doing this, AJ, because, <laughs> geez, what, we've known each other uh, not, not all that long, but since, what, Columbus won, I guess? Yep. And uh, I never knew that uh, you were a film major. Never knew yes, the, uh, the the you know that aspect of it. But it makes perfect sense now, especially knowing your history with nationals and uh, being the the broadcast superstar that you are for the ACHA. You know, we'll get into that later, talking all about the fun t- fun stuff you do for the ACHA because sure. Jack of all trades, AJ Bolden. Sure all right. So you came out to Utah. What was that like? Because you're, are, is, is it Minneapolis? I grew up in Rochester. Rochester. Okay. So you grew up yeah. in Rochester and then you come out to the mountains. That come had to be a change in culture and climate and everything. Well, again, in another life, I was skiing a lot, which had a lot to do with me coming to, to Salt Lake and uh, my, everything changes when you come to school and uh, part of the, the, the allure of Utah was not only film, but the mountain lifestyle. And I was able to pretty much do one and a half of that. I just couldn't, uh, couldn't really find the time to not only study and, and work and try and write and direct films, but the, uh, the price of skiing just came, just be, became too much for, you know, a college kid. So yeah. I had to dial one thing back and, that's when I started playing a lot more hockey, uh, and that's where uh, a couple years later, uh, after I graduated and returned to school uh, for a graduate degree, uh, was able to find my way to the ACHA and started playing again. And, and did you, I know that you're a goaltender by trade. Yes, sir. Um, but did you skate out or were you a, a goaltender all the way through? Goaltender all the way through. So the... The short version is the the head coach of Utah at the time, his name was Sly Limoges, uh, saw me playing beer league 
Wait, wait, wait. Uh, hold, hold on. His, his name is Sly Limoges? Sly Limoges, yeah. He's a French-Canadian. Uh, Sylvain Limoges. That's what we call him Sly. <laughs> that sounds like a like a bad cartoon character. Sly Limoges. <laughs> yeah, well, per- yeah. perhaps my pronunciation of Limoges is incorrect, but <laughs> that's what I remember. All right. So uh, he, he was your coach, yeah? Yep, he was the coach. Uh, saw me in the championship game during a summer division, whatever, and uh, asked me to, to, to be attendee for, for the Utes. And that's when, uh, that's when the whole thing got started. Now at the time university of Utah was what men's division two. Yep. We we're second year division two program. Okay. And this was back in, you know, way back when, and we had 10, 11 guys on the ice and we were playing, uh, you mentioned Weber State at the time. They were Division One, yep. and that was actually, uh, I think, my first first game with the Utes. Is we played Weber State Division One, and we beat them two to one. Really? With a sh- with a shot count of I think it was seventy one to twelve. You know, those Weber State uh, teams, they had some, uh, especially back in the mid-2000s, they really had some decent little players. They had some guys that were, you just wanted to punch their lights out. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were they were very skilled for sure. Yeah, but they also had some, yeah, they had, they had some very skilled players, but boy, they also had some guys that were just, they're, they're guys, you, you love them if they're on your team and um, you hate them if they're on, uh, if you're, if they're on the other team, there was a kid, um, God, his first name was Eric. I forget the, uh, uh, the, his last name, but I just remember he was a real pain in the butt, uh, wild hair. And then there was a kid named, uh, Nick Mysick, Mychick, M-I-C-E-K, I believe. Okay. Um, and then, uh, then there was a uh, defenseman, Aaron Dufford. There was, uh, yeah, there was just a bunch of those, uh, good, uh, Weber state players, God, there was one kid who would walk around all the time wearing white sunglasses too. He ended up breaking his leg at uh, <laughs> he broke his leg at nationals in Philadelphia, um, and he was like the leading scorer for Weber. It was insane. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. What a deal. What a deal. All right. So your first game, you 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 ate an awful lot of rubber, but you beat Weber. And welcome to the welcome to the club. You're part of the Utes now. Yeah, and we I think had a record of. I don't know, six and 25 or something. I mean, (laughs) it was a solid, solid sophomore season as an ACHA program. And, uh, next year, you know, transitioned. Well, I, I played for two years and then transitioned out of it, uh, and really took on the, the front office role and helped out our coaching staff. And, you know, we went, um, eight, seven, eight years later, we're, we're competing. We're, I think, Within four or five years, we were heading to regionals every year, and then in 2015, we hosted the national championship. Uh, ended up losing to Florida Gulf Coast in one of the most memorable hockey games I've ever witnessed, and uh, NYU beat FGCU that year for the championship. Okay. Uh, and then 16 rolls around, we end up in Philly for nationals again. Uh, I think we went two and one in pool play again, but just never made it that, that third and final win. And at the time we were looking for a new challenge. So we put in our application for division one and was accepted. And so short eight, nine years later, we're, we're playing with the big boys. 
Have you, uh, so men's, Utah's only been part of men's division one now for how many years now? Five years? This would be our fifth season. Correct. Okay. All right. Wow. I didn't realize that. What, what were you, what were you thinking when you, when you moved to division one? I mean, was it just, as you said, we're looking for a new challenge or, uh, was there, you know, were you trying, was it because there were some other division one teams in the neighborhood that, uh, you know, you felt you were going to be, uh, uh, not better than, but you can compete better with. I think that's an interesting question, Chris. And thinking back that at the time we were traveling a lot at division two and obviously there's some disparity when it comes to division two programs, just like there is in division one, but our, our student athletes really wanted the next challenge. And I was, I myself and the coaching staff was really supportive of the move and we really wanted to take the next step. And, uh, at the time, ASU had just won their Division One ACHA championship and announced their, their move to the NCAA. And that was a little inspiration for the rest of us out here in the Pac-12 and really thinking like, okay, we need to, we need to push forward. We need to do the, the next step. We need to figure out a way to play um, a higher level of hockey, uh, uh, recruit a, a higher level of athlete think about the academic side of things and really try to be good citizens on campus, not only from an academic point of view, but from an athletic point of view. And, and note that just because we're not technically a varsity program, but we can still be, um, you know, a, a, a group of student athletes that lead uh, in the classroom and on the ice. So it was, I think a culmination of a lot of things, uh, especially from, what our student athletes wanted and we knew it was going to be tough and uh, we knew it was going to be a challenge. I know uh, in our first year at division one, we made two trips to North Dakota. We made a trip to Alabama. We made a trip to New York, uh, down to Arizona. And so I think we logged over 16,000 miles that first year. Wow. And there are, you know, we didn't win a lot of games, but it was, it was better hockey. And I think, our student athletes were really interested um, in playing at a higher level, especially when uh, in Utah, there's a lot of folks that, you know, want to stay home. They want Utah to be a destination when it comes to hockey. And in the last few years, and again, I'm a transplant, I can't speak to all the facts, but there's a lot of kids that, go to juniors and, you know, they'll end up around North America playing either Canada or, or North America or, you know, the state somewhere. And a lot of them want to come back and play for a hockey program. And there is, there is a difference to student athletes these days um, at which ACHA division you're playing. And I think for a lot of folks that are trying to decide between, let's say an NCAA D3 program and an ACHA program, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to to play for an ACHA D1 program, especially when you can offer the big school vibe. You can offer the, you know, I'm going to call it the Pac-12 experience, where you have the the huge football games, you have the, the large campuses, you have the degrees that um, may or may not need explanation type of thing. And, you know, the the ACHA Division One has that, the WCA, 
WCHL has that. And it's really been a good thing for us to, to move to division one and find that, that niche, if you will, especially in Utah, where we're the only division one program in the state right now. And hopefully we can, we can change that in the future, but really for us, we're trying to, to, to find really exceptional hockey players that, may may not have the NCAA D1 skill set but still want the 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 big school mentality and the big school experience while further furthering their hockey career and graduating with a degree and 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 loving the game of hockey for the rest of their life. Now you'd mentioned um uh, about the 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 quality of player moving from men's 2 to men's 1 have you noticed a difference? I mean you said that it it makes it more appealing but have you noticed over the four or five years now that you've been men's division one, that you're getting a higher quality or you're getting more looks from a higher quality of player than you were 10 years ago? 10 years ago, for sure. And I think it, it, it all depends on what the program can offer. And, you know, we have an advantage here at the university of Utah, the state of Utah a couple of years ago implemented a, a one year rule where if Chris, uh, if Chris Perry, our illustrious commissioner, moves to Salt Lake City, he can get in-state tuition um, within one calendar year if he gets a driver's license and a utility bill. And so, wow. when when we're doing the recruiting, and you know, like I'm going to just speak for Minnesota, it was cheaper for me to come to Minnesota, or excuse me, come from Minnesota to Utah, uh, even though I paid the one I paid the one year of out-of-state tuition. When you're amateurized that against four against four or five years, uh, we really get uh, we offer a cheaper uh, environment, and I think um, I don't quote me on this, but I think we're the cheapest tuition in the entire Pac-12 right now. So it's uh, not only do we offer great education at a at a discount, if you will, but you know we're offering a really good hockey experience and. Uh, in short, Chris, I, I would say, yes, we're, we're getting better student athletes. We're getting, um, NCAA division three transfers. We're getting people that really understand that they, they understand that they're not going to have an NHL career, but they want to go to med school or they want to join the military or they want, or be an officer in the military. And so amongst our alumni, we have orthopedic surgeons, we have Navy SEALs, we have pilots we have a couple doctors a lot of a lot of engineers come through our program and I, I know I say this all the time to anybody that'll listen but our team academic mentality is pretty impressive we average nine guys on the dean's list every single semester and we have a team GPA of 3.1 so it's it's not only a, a good place to, to play hockey and high level hockey but it's a good place to further your academics Sounds like it. Wow. And, and they get the, as you say, the big college experience. Correct. One of the things that I like about the WCHL is, and I'll say this to anyone who listen is, you know, over the past few years, our, our better, our best team has been our worst name in central Oklahoma because, you know, everybody else you have, whether it's Utah, Arizona, Colorado, Oklahoma, you know, Missouri state, everyone knows those names. And now we've added, You know, uh, UNLV, we've added Utah, you know those names. Grand Canyon's a little bit more, uh, not obscure, but not as lesser, not not as well-known as those uh, 
you know, power five brand names, if you will. Correct. And um, so that's 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 kind of cool. Well, very very nice. It, when now you you'd mentioned logging a ton of miles that first season, sixteen thousand miles travel miles. That's that's just wild. What other challenges? You played four seasons as an independent. What challenges other than scheduling and travel did you uh, did you run into, or is that it? Travel and schedule. I think the travel and schedule is is really the key here. There's no reciprocity requirements in ACHA. So really what it turns into is a little bit of horse trading where, you know, as Utah being the the new kid on the block for a couple of years, we were willing to go to Michigan. We were going to New York um, to go to North Dakota. And a lot of programs, you know, I mentioned North Dakota, Jamestown and and Minot, they're they're also independent. So they're more than willing to travel. Uh, But if you have a program in let's say Michigan that doesn't require a longer trip uh, than three hours, uh, a bus trip that is, you know, they're, they're less likely to, to hit, hit the airport and, you know, fly to Salt Lake. So making sure that we meet the ACHA requirements for, for game count and opponent count is always a challenge when not only do you want to support your athletes with, um, good good opponents but you also want to support your fans with great opponents that come to come home and you know the one thing that we with five ACHA D2 programs in the state there was a lot of in-state rivalry so oftentimes we would sell out uh, a 2500 person barn for ACHA games and when we moved to division one those rivalries kind of evolved and I'm really looking forward to the WCHL rivalries because I think a lot of that's going to return. And we represent an average of 700 season ticket holders every year. And, you know, they want, they want to see good hockey. They want to see great opponents. They want to see nail biting games. And it's, uh, it's going to be great to be part of a, a conference that can certainly offer that and not have um, such a different uh, schedule every season as we've had in the last four seasons. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't go, don't go hoping too far. I'm, I'm still going to do the schedule for next year and I already screwed up this one. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, COVID and all. coronavirus got in the way of everything there. So, Hey, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's listen to chance the rapper really quick in the, uh, Caddyshack corn. When we come back, let's talk about Utah joining the WCHL. Hold on. Uh, but Hey, as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. <laughs> Alrighty there, AJ. You just mentioned um, jo- joining up with the WCHL. That's kind of uh, you, you know when we first ran into one another, you were the broadcast guru for nationals at uh, for the first year out there in Columbus, which was what 2017, I think it was. Sounds um, about right. Yeah, sounds about right. And you you had approached me about joining the conference, and at that time we were doing travel partners, and I was like, dude. Travel partner, travel partner, travel partner, travel partner. <laughs> I'm sure you got sick of hearing me say that. Well, at least at least you were consistent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was probably a butthead. But um, but hey, now we've uh, we, we've you know times have changed. You were persistent, and um, here we are. We've gotten away from our travel partner thing, and instead now we're doing uh, kind of you know, more div- a, of a divisional format based on geography. 
And um, so Utah, Grand Canyon, UNLV will be joining U of A and ASU on the uh, WCHL West Division and playing a home-and-home schedule. Well, if coronavirus hadn't hit, you would have been playing a home-and-home schedule against those guys. And then a road game to one team on the WCHL East side, and you would have a home game from somebody, another team on the WCHL East side. So you would play everybody on the West – home and home every year and then you would basically cycle through five road trips and five home games from the other division every five years um so hopefully that will help uh, uh well well let me ask i mean you before covid hit you had a wchl schedule with automatic 20 home games did that help or did that hurt you because you also have existing relationships as you said with independent teams why not jamestown Alabama, but you also have a, a slew of D2 teams right there in Utah that you already have rivalries and existing relationships with. Agreed. Well, we couldn't be more excited to be part of the conference, and I'm not trying to just butter you up, Chris. It's <laughs> it's really, really exciting, again, to have those rivalries and year in and year out playing Arizona, Arizona State, uh, GCU, UNLV. I think one of our favorite destinations um before we join the conferences uh is is heading down to play arizona they have a wonderful facility and we would always bus down there and it's just an experience for our players to 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 take the bus down into the basement and have park right next to your locker room and have this wonderful facility of 8500 seats i think it is capacity there at the tucson event center but you know it's it's a, it's a fantastic experience. And I think that goes throughout the entire, um, WCHL. I've never personally been to, um, Missouri state's barn, but I've heard great things. Our women's program went there last year and, uh, they always host, um, a good thing. And, uh, I, 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 regardless of the independence, the schedule that, that, that you created, Chris allows a lot of flexibility. I mean, we have the 20 games, um, eight home, eight away, and then, well, 10 home, 10 away. Uh, but it, it gives us the flexibility to still maintain those, those Minots, those Jamestowns, those showcases, uh, wherever we want to go. So there's, there's the, there's the, the league mandated stuff. Uh, but that helps us because I'm not, I'm not horse trading when it comes to teams coming to Salt Lake. And it, it, it definitely guarantees a little bit of parity uh, amongst the teams. Uh, cause I know I'm going to, Utah is going to see Arizona state four times, Arizona four times, UNLV four times and, and grand Canyon four times. And considering we get two games in each barn, it, it adds a lot of the quality and parity to the league. And I, I think it's going to increase competition. Uh, not that it really needed it, but, uh, considering the, the amount of ACHA D1 championships the conference holds um but I'm just glad to be a part of it and I know our student athletes are as well yeah well I'm I'm glad that you're a part of it I'm glad that we finally were able to make something work so uh and it's going to provide some relief you know I think to the uh to the air to the two Arizona teams who are just getting hammered in terms of uh, travel budget so uh, I think it's going to, I think it has the potential to be a win, win, win situation for 
all involved. So, uh, you you did mention earlier um, that uh, you've, you've, I guess, hired a new head coach. Why don't we talk about that? Because it was just announced that Morgan Feeney is now the new Utah head coach. Welcome to Utah Hockey, Morgan Feeney, in the middle of a COVID uh, pandemic. Um, I mean, how, yeah. how, how did that work out? Because it was, you literally announced it here in October, and normally, as you said, you'd be two or three weeks into the season already. Agreed. So our former head coach uh, resigned in, in June. He got a, a real fantastic day job. So congratulations to him. Um, but what it did amongst the, the, the pandemic is give us uh, a, a lot of time to consider what we needed. Uh, we had countless hours of meetings amongst the, the front office, uh, the student athletes. We went through a very rigorous um, interview process. I, I don't want to throw Morgan under the bus here, but I think we had a total of eight interviews with him. Um, and anybody who didn't invest in, in Zoom in March uh, is probably kicking their se- kicking themselves as much as I am, but you know it, it definitely uh, allowed us to take our time and find a, a really good fit for the program. And uh, not only do we get Morgan, but we get his uh, his father as an assistant coach, uh, Rob Feeney, uh, and we'll have a couple more announcements for uh, coming up next week uh, regarding some other additional staff members. But uh, Morgan really fit the bill for us, not only for uh, hockey knowledge um, and coaching ability, but really, really being very clear with his vision of where he saw our program uh, today and where he wanted to take us uh, in the seasons ahead. And I think it really resonated well with not only myself um, and the other staff members, but the the student athletes. And you know, we had lots of of discussions and really trying to analyze where we could improve what needed to change from where we came from. And for your listeners who may or may not know, but um, you know, there we're competing against programs that are, that are fully funded by their university. And, you know, it's something that we chose to participate in uh, moving to division one, but, you know, Wade's program up at Minot and Chris's at, 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 at Dearborn, you know, these, these programs are, are regionally renowned and they're, they're exceptional programs to be a part of and play against. And they host good games. They, they travel well. Um, and so when we were having the discussions with Morgan, those are the types of things that we talked about and making sure that we can find the room to um, not only recruit uh, better players, but also uh, add improvements to the facilities and really try to find a happy medium, if you will, for being a completely self-funded program and still playing uh, awesome hockey against those fully funded programs. Very nice. Now, Morgan, he was already in Utah or did he, I I know he went to Michigan state. I remember I saw the bio, I put it up on the uh, ACHA website. Um, he went to Michigan State from originally from I think uh, Grand Rapids, and it's the the one thing that stood out to me uh, besides the fact that his dad was joining him was 
that your your presser said uh, that he'd been all over hockey, had brought him all over Arkansas, Minnesota, and finally Utah. And I just thought, Correct. wait a second, Arkansas, why, what happened there? Was well, he playing I, pro? or? <laughs> I don't know the Arkansas side of things, but I know when he was coaching in Michigan, um, he was able to transition from a player to become a coach and, and found success uh, amongst the high school programs there. That, and that I believe that brought him not only to Arkansas, but up to Minnesota. And, you know, he's played or coached in both, both men's and the women's programs. And I really think his, uh, his understanding of the game is, is impressive. And I think he has the, the drive and desire to uh, really, really push us to the next level. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I, I, there's not a whole lot of hockey going on in Arkansas these days, except for at the ACHA. <laughs> and so that's why it uh, stood out to me. I was like, wait a second. Did he play for the Riverblades in, uh, in, in, in Little Rock way back when in the old Wiffle? Or, uh, but whatever. Well, hey, welcome Morgan Feeney um, in the middle of a pandemic. Congratulations. Yeah. Time was on your side. Absolutely. So, yeah, what, he he probably doesn't know anything about the Western Collegiate League, but I'm sure we'll uh, we'll we'll get to know him here pretty quickly. All right. So tell me a little bit more about uh, you. Wear a lot of other hats, AJ, and you're always very humble about these things. But let's just go through the one by one. Um, in addition to running the men's hockey program there at Utah, you've also started up a women's hockey program at Utah. Correct that are currently playing in women's division one, ACHA. And ironically enough, they're playing in a conference called the women's Western collegiate hockey league. Also correct. What's up with that? Why are they stealing our name and our, why can't they come up with a, like (laughs) something original? Well, you'll have to talk to Lindsay about that. But, uh, the reason why we, we decided to add a women's program was really trying to do, uh, this is, I don't know, should be part of our marketing material, but it's we want to be the program on the hill. And for those of you who haven't been to the University of Utah, Salt Lake City sits in the in the actual valley, and the university is perched up on the benches, and that's where our rink is. And uh, we really want to be a leader when it comes to hockey in in the in the states. And for us, it was really important to not only provide good hockey homes for for men. But we also wanted to do it for women, and we felt that it was just time. The We had been kicking around the idea for, I want to say, four or five years uh, to add the women's program, and then we we took the plunge, and we took um, we hired a coach. Her name was Morgan Marietti, and she worked tirelessly for, for a, year, a year to, uh, to recruit uh, great women student athletes and we started the season with a solid 10 girls um towards the end of the season we were up to 12 <laughs> and they competed i mean it was it was a sight to see 10 girls rip through the season we qualified for the the postseason uh in, in their first year of existence uh, when we joined the league, or well, when we petitioned to join the league, we also uh, put in a bid to host a, the conference championship. So our girls got to finish their first season at home in front of our fans, and uh, we didn't win the, the conference championship. But uh, all in all, I thought it was a great season, and the, it all 
goes to the student athletes and they're they're digging deep enough and you know playing basically double shifting the entire game and we had fantastic goaltending and fantastic d fantastic forwards and they just found a way to win um is there a lot of time is there a lot of support from the from the men's program do the the boys do they come and support the girls when they play do the girls come and support the boys when they play or are they just two ships you know sailing different ways in the night uh they're definitely one ship on different on different sides of the of the ship if you will um we share a ship maybe that's a better way to put it but uh we're very supportive of each other uh obviously with only 10 girls um, and we're self-funded. I, I mentioned that earlier, but every dollar that our program has, we have to earn, uh, or it comes from donations or player dues. And so we were able to supplement some of the women's um, financial needs uh, from the men. And there was some grumbling because of it. But you know, once people understood that the vision of, of Utah hockey and it being one program and trying to really figure out a way to make it work for everybody. I think it, it's, it's definitely blossom into a very supportive culture. And, you know, when I was doing some research throughout the ACHA, especially on the women's side, uh, I did notice that there was kind of a us and them uh, at certain schools. And I think that was one thing that we really tried to avoid. And so uh, we just tried to do simple things. Like when we have, when we host a women's home game, they're, they're always stacked with a men's, men's game. So our fans with their season tickets can get into both games for the same, same ticket. Um, and that way our fans can come and go if they want to come early for a women's game or stay late for a men's game. And that goes with our fans and our staff as well. And I think it's really been a positive thing, not only for our, uh, student athletes, but for the, the younger, younger players across the state of Utah. And, when they can see, you know, they're 12 years old and they can see that there's a future ahead of them at, for either a, in their men's program or the women's program, it, it makes it something to play for. And uh, obviously, if, if, if we can ever pull an ASU and, and figure out a way to, to move up to NCAA, that, that's, that's something that we're interested in doing. But for now, we're, we're focused on really building bridges for those younger kids that love the game of hockey and know that they want to play for a school someday and they can do it here in their, their home state. Well, you say you pull an ASU. I think that's a special kind of recruiting right there. Yeah, so that's, that, that would, that would work. Now tell, tell me this. Um, you said you had 10 started the season with 10 and uh, ended the season with, uh, with a dozen. Have you noticed, I mean, uh, is there more interest when in Utah women's hockey as the season has for uh, now that you're, this was going to be what the second season. Correct. Is there you're going to have more? There's going to be 20, 20 on the team. Are we still at a, at a dozen? Or are there people that are ringing the phone off the hook and saying we want to come to Utah? Well, I'm going to answer this um, well, with nobody, the caveat of, of COVID. No, uh, no, we no had, nobody's listening. So I mean, just be truthful. <laughs> well, we had we had 20 girls um, that signed LOIs this year, so we had essentially doubled our class, our, our team. And I think that was the growth that we wanted. Yeah. Uh, I think we were we were shooting for 25, but we hit 20. And a couple uh, student athletes decided to to take a gap year, or you know, not necessarily travel to just take online classes. So it's uh, it is what it is. I think we have 16 still um, here 
uh, in Salt Lake, and that's hopefully going to grow by January when we start again. But it's uh, it's been a very positive environment for everybody. A lot of uh, a lot of interest, not only from high schools here in Utah, but also from out of state. Um, and so the the tuition thing that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's it's really allows us to not only turn on the recruiting here in the state, but also go after some student athletes outside of, of the great, the, the state of sport is what they call it. <laughs> you got to, uh, you got to play, play up to your advantages, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, in addition to running a women's hockey program and a men's hockey program, you're also the commissioner for the ACHA men's division two, a conference at men's division two, the pack eight conference. That's correct. Oh boy. How did, what are you doing there? Holy smokes. <laughs> well, Utah, when we were in division two, we were members of the pack eight and, uh, those were, uh, great days. And we, I think we won three out of five years in the, the conference championship. Um, we lost the ASU one time at home. I think that was 2014, but it was, it was five overtimes. And so that was also a very memorable game. Um, and kudos to, to ASU for bringing that home. Uh, but it's, uh, again, I'm just here to help uh, the sport of hockey. And I wasn't, I was invited to, to be their executive director uh, six, seven years ago, whatever the time frame has been. And uh, we've gone through some changes. You know, we've expanded from at the time, and we always get a little bit of uh, grief for this, but, um, you know, the pack eight at, at the time had seven teams. Uh, we're now up to 12 teams. Um, and what we did is we just changed the chart a little bit to allow uh, non pack 12 schools, uh, just like the pack 12 does. There's a little known uh, affiliate clause in their charter that allows um, non non pack 12 teams to compete in pack 12 play if they don't have another conference to be in, uh, especially when it comes to uh, slow or lower number sports like wrestling or sailing or something like that. So um, there's, there's precedence for this in, in, in college athletics. And uh, we were able to go from seven to 12 teams and really become uh, a competitive, competitive conference. And uh, one of the other main goals was to try and reduce travel uh, because we had teams like Washington state and Washington, uh, you know, their every game for them is a 12 hour trip, just like for Utah. But in addition to heading down to Eugene or, or Cal, you know, they're, they're taking a plane and heading down to, to Arizona or excuse me, Arizona state, <coughs> excuse me, or UCLA and USC. So the, the pack eight is actually the, the conference with the largest geographic footprint in the ACHA. And it's, it's, it's been a challenge, but it's also been rewarding. And every year we host our our conference championship in Lake Tahoe and that, that, that barn and their facility has been extremely kind to us. And it's awesome when you have that, that, that hop in ski town, come into that little, little rink and just blow it up with, all, all the alumni that are there and because uh, they're up they're up there at Tahoe skiing and then come have a beer and watch some college hockey yeah that's what I was gonna ask if you 
get to, you know how does Tahoe support it? I didn't realize that all the all the ski bombs and the uh, alums are that are there in town. That makes perfect sense, though. You fill the place up for the uh, Pack Eight playoffs. Yeah, wow. it's, uh, obviously it depends on who's playing, but we've definitely had some really good crowds, and the rink's been been awesome. They uh, it's basically a trade for. Um, you know, they take the majority of the ticket sales and our teams uh, get to play in beautiful Lake Tahoe. That's impressive. Beautiful Lake Tahoe. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. Well, in addition to all of that, you're also the <laughs> executive director, producer, whatever you want to call it, for uh, the, the all the broadcasts that's happened for the past uh, ACHA Nationals that have happened from Columbus 1, Columbus 2, Frisco 1. You were... You had everything in place for Frisco too before COVID pulled the plug on us. Yeah, what's going on there? Is that uh, is that an offshoot of your film school background, or is this just uh, something? You know, AJ's plate wasn't big enough, and uh, <laughs> or, or it was it was so big and it wasn't full enough. Well, it actually started, uh, Chris, back in 2015 when we hosted the national championship for Division Two. Uh, I was on the phone with Mike Radakovich, who was uh, our esteemed Division II commissioner, and I pitched him on the idea of, of moving to YouTube for broadcasting. And uh, after months and months and months of, of that, uh, we, they took a risk on us, uh, and we provided all 27 games on YouTube and just blew up the the viewership numbers because as everybody knows, you know, if you can, instead of paying for a service, if you can watch it, not only on your phone, but your smart TV, your laptop, whatever it might be, <coughs> excuse me. Um, if you got that ability, you make things easy for people to watch, they're going to watch it. And so I can't remember the numbers um, from 2015, but I believe I think we, we, we cracked the, the 1 million minutes of hockey watch during that, those five days. Wow. And it was, it was awesome. Everybody loved it. And the best part about it is if you're a coach or you're a fan, not only can you go back and, and break it down for next day's games, but grandma can watch it, you know, two years from now or whatever it is. So those games are up in YouTube for, uh, in perpetuity. And then in 2016, uh, the Nationals was in Philadelphia, and uh, we got called in kind of last minute to, to, to facilitate the same thing. So we did, uh, our crew did the 2015, the 2016 Division II championships, and then uh, ended up starting up again in, in 2018 at Columbus. So that's that's how the whole thing got started. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to give you credit there for Columbus 1, but I totally forgot that we had those go-live jokers um, yeah. for Columbus 1, at least at the Ice House. What a pain in the butt those t- those turkeys were. I mean, God, God bless them. They, they did a semi-decent job, I'm sure, but... Uh, Oh, I, yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry. I did not mean to, uh, to, to slur or libel or slander your good name by <laughs> saying that you had anything to do with the, those, those go live turkeys. No, uh, it's okay. So, uh, I'm sure they're, I'm sure that lady is still very angry about something. <laughs> wow. She was a piece of work. So, all right. And so you've done, um, and, but you, you did you did a heck, a heck of a job, and I know I gave you a hard time because the the 
Columbus 2 happened to be the year, I think, well, I know that was a year that I happened to be sitting in the hot seat for uh, the ACHA warming it, keeping the, the executive director chair warm, and you and your crew just came through with flying colors in terms of uh, providing the broadcast, uh, nice, clear, crisp broadcast for all five divisions, something that didn't happen the year before. Um, I, I remember watching the, uh, the D2 nationals from, uh, from Utah. I remember sitting around watching that on, uh, as you say, on YouTube, you know, our D1 nationals had just concluded and, you know, the next week here we are watching, uh, uh, the D2 nationals and that was pretty cool. I thought you guys did a heck of a job up there. Thank so you. Well, it's a lot of hard work from a lot of good people and, you know, they've, they dedicate two weeks uh, of their lives for that, uh, when we, when we have the joint championships, uh, again, for those of you who haven't been there, it's 10 days, it's 109 games in 10 days. And, uh, during day four and five and six, I want to say there's either 12 or 14 games going on and it, it, it creates a lot of work and, and time for the staff and they're, they're there a week early to prep and install cameras and, and we work 10 days and then we have to pack it all up and, and drive home. And so it's, it's, it's tough. And, but we, everybody really loves the game and they love the league and they do their best. And it's, I don't know, it's just, it's always, it's always a challenge, you know, midway through. Um, but by the time we're done, everybody's really excited and, and happy that it was a, a success. And I just want to give my, my shout out to them. Yeah, well, the, hey, you're, you, you and your crew, and you know this because I would always give you a hard time. I'm not going to say how, but I would always <laughs> give you a hard time because I have no clue how you do it. Because not only did you guys work hard through, you know, the days, and, and when we say days, it's, you know, what, 9 in the morning until like 11 at night. But then yeah. you, you guys would play hard a little bit, you know, after each night, and then you'd get up and be right back at it at 9 in the morning, and I would have no clue how that crew operates. Um, you know, I guess that's the, the blessing of being young and, um, not needing, uh, an awful lot in the way of rest or sleep or, uh, or, or what, but wow, you, the, um, the behind the scenes with the ACHA broadcasting crew was definitely, um, um, they were busting their hump and, and that's not just me blowing smoke up your skirt or anything. It's just the way it is there's an awful lot of work that goes on to uh, placing cameras and running cables and getting the right angles and making sure the instant replay works and making sure the communication works with referees. And it's, uh, it's, there's a, there's a serious heavy lift and you, well, for the, um, I, I can't speak to the D2. I can, I can only say that I watched it, but for uh, the, the D ones or, or for the ACHA national tournaments, I should say for the last for Columbus two and Frisco one, you know, I thought you knocked it out of the ballpark, but uh, that's just me. I'm biased. So. Yeah, well, thank you, sir. And thanks. I mean, you guys took a risk. Uh, I mean, when you said you were in the hot seat, that was uh, our first year doing it. And I got to thank you and your predecessor and your successor, Craig Barnett, about giving us a chance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What a deal. Well, in addition to all of that, AJ, you have a real job. You work in IT at the University of Utah, and and I don't you if you want to you can expand you can expound on what it actually at all it is, but it has to do with the with the lab side of things. They're heavily involved in trying to find 
trying to explain all this COVID stuff to us, aren't they? They're trying to, um, they're trying to solve major, major problems. Yeah. So I'm a systems administrator, uh, and I work a lot with the infrastructure. Uh, but the easiest way to, to illustrate this is, and I actually just learned this today, Chris, Uh-oh. um, there's a new, there's a new saliva test that is being used for COVID and it was that procedure and that verification and making sure that false positives don't occur, uh, happened in our department. And so that, that apparatus, that little piece of plastic that people, instead of getting the nasal swabs, they're able to, you know, basically spit into a tube and get a, a, a pretty quick answer on, on COVID results was, it was invented at the university of Utah. And I, I can't claim that that's the only one because, you know, there's lots of competition in, in medicine and more than likely there's several people that have invented similar things, but the ones that are being used on campus, um, were basically homegrown and it's, uh, it's my, my partial job along with our other team members to um, support them with their IT needs. And that includes anything from, you know, email to major storage needs and all, all of the IT um, tools and trades that, that they need. So that's what we do uh, day in and day out. And that is my day job. That was the, the, the thing that blew my mind, AJ, and this is not just me. Um, being a dope because, you know, when you hear IT, yeah, you think of, you know, a guy in a polo and a pocket protector, you know, setting up somebody's email or, you know, updating the virus software. But you had mentioned during one of our conversations um, talking about storage and running into yep. issues with storage because all of these samples, you know, you talked about, you know, someone spitting into a tube or taking a nasal swab. All of those samples get scanned in and stored somewhere. Um, and you were, you know, I, I don't know if you're, you're being humble or if you're just not, uh, I, I don't know what the case was, but you were very, uh, uh concerned about being able to provide the, uh, uh, amount of storage that the, the, the doctors and the, uh, the scientists there at the university, the epidemiologists were going to need uh, in order to, uh, um, I guess, continue their good work to try to help us all get through this damn thing. Right. Well, technically what, I mean, in short, it's, they're, they're modeling DNA in, in many different ways. And what they've figured out how to do is basically take, um, photos of the DNA and these photos, not only are, it's not just like a, a single frame, they're, they're multidimensional and, the each, I mean, just a, a rough estimate here. You have like your iPhone or your, your SLR takes a, a photo, maybe 10 megs in size. Um, but the imaging and the imagery that, that these scientists are creating are in the gig range. And so it's essentially uh, an, order an order of magnitude increase in storage needs on an annual basis. And it's, it's just a, it's a large large problem to solve. And, um, with us being a, a state institution, you know, it's not like we're Microsoft or Apple that has nothing but money. Um, you know, we have to find creative ways to do that and be supportive of, of all of our, our, our PIs or what we call them principal investigators and uh, making sure that they get what they need. Insane. Is, is, 
have I missed something that you do? I mean, do you also like uh, run a Bible study or lead a scout troop or, uh, you know, fly airplanes or give tours of the Grand Canyon or something? I do none of those things. Um, and the rest of my time, I just try and sleep, Chris. <laughs> I, I never, I never, I, I never knew you slept. I, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, Hey, we've gotten far away from hockey, so let's get we'll dial back really quick and then sure. we'll, we'll get you off. Cause I know that you're, uh, you provided an awful lot of, uh, of your time here this evening and I appreciate that. Well, what's the, for, from AJ Bolden's perspective, what's the biggest conception or misconception about Utah hockey? Um, I don't know if it's about Utah hockey. Can I make a, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Utah. Okay, let's do it. Well, there's, um, what's interesting to me is, is Salt Lake city and park city. There are a lot of transplants and a lot of out of staters that live here. And, uh, there's a, there's a term that's being kicked around these days that, uh, it's Silicon slopes and there's a lot of it and, uh, Adobe's here, Microsoft here's, Google's here, and so it's a it's a great mountain place to be and uh, a great place to live. And so there's uh, a huge LDS church influence, and obviously they founded uh, Salt Lake City, and they deserve the credit for that. But uh, for those of you who've never been here, it's a it's a great place to be, and it's uh, there are bars and there are plenty of fun things to do, and. Uh, I know there's a, a lot of jokes about that out there, so I just wanted to to make sure that people understand that Salt Lake's a, a truly fun town, and uh, I think it's a privilege to live here. You're saying that not everybody walks around Salt Lake wearing the uh, Mormon magic underwear, and not everybody uh, attends the Tabernacle uh, Choir concerts on Thursday nights? That is very true. There's, there's more, there's more to Salt Lake. How about this? I've, this, when I was a young, dumb attorney coming up, I had the pleasure of, uh, in another life, I was working oil and gas defense and I had to go to Salt Lake city for uh, a number of weeks for depositions, uh, which was kind of fun. Um, especially being a dumb lawyer. Um, and I, God, I want to say we were in the quest building, the Q West building. I called it. Um, uh, the thing that, uh, stood out, I always, when I thought of Salt Lake, obviously you think of, uh, you know, the Mormon church and you think of, uh, uh, the choir in Temple Square. And in fact, I stayed, my hotel was the inn at Temple Square right across the street. Of course. And so I had, I always had fun walking through the, uh, the, the Temple Square cause they have all the, the missionaries there where the young, the young kids offering you, you know, the book of Mormon and I would always tell them, no, thanks. I got a note from the Pope. I'm excused. You know, I don't need this. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's it's a fascinating place. When I think of my first the exposure to Salt Lake City, besides the Olympics, though, was um, uh, a movie that I saw years and years and years ago called SLC Punk. And it yeah, was... for walking. Yep. And it was, um, you know, it, telling exactly what you just said, that there's a, a heavy-duty regular music scene uh, in Salt Lake City, that has nothing to do with the church. We're not all, you know, goody goodies, and it's a, it's a regular American city. Couldn't have said it better. And I thought it was pretty cool. I I also had the chance to go. I did not go to the hockey arena, but um, when I this was when I was right out of college, um, when I was there for weeks and weeks and weeks, it seemed. Uh, it was a pleasure to be up there for Sundance. I got to see a bunch of very cool 
um, movies at the Egyptian Theater up in Park City. And God, is there, you're going to have to help me out here. There's like an Orleans Theater or a French Square Theater there in Salt Lake where they participate in Sundance. Or Gaslight? Is there a Gaslight Theater? It's something like that. Every Sundance movie I went to in town was um, at the Salt Lake Film Society or um, at the time there was a Trolley Square Theater. Trolley Square, there it is. Yes. And there's also a a very famous theater in the 9th and 9th District called uh, The Tower. So there's Sundance does a really good job of spreading the wealth, not only from Park City, but down here um, in Salt Lake City and a lot of the independent film um, theaters that that at least existed before COVID. It was uh, it was pretty cool. It was my first experience seeing a, a real live movie star who directed a movie who, you know, walked in when the movie when the lights came on after the movie was over and, you know, answered questions. And it was pretty cool. It was Tim Roth and he was coming right off of uh, uh, Pulp Fiction uh, fame. No yeah. So it was pretty cool. And the name of the movie was like the Cold War or the War Room. It was kind of a, a dark movie. It was a very dark movie. Um, but it, it was, it was very cool. And I, but I also got a chance to go see a university of Utah basketball game. And when Rick Majerus was the coach and, you know, they were, Utah was flying high as, you know, uh, especially when, when coach Majerus was there. But the thing that, yeah. that, um, I could not get my head wrapped around and I, I'm definitely not an engineer. Trust me. Um, I stared, I probably spent, you know, a good portion of time staring at this gigantic, piece of stone that was hanging from the ceiling uh, above the arena uh, above the arena floor and I'm like how in the world is that thing there and why doesn't it crash down and kill all the people underneath it it was the the arena was just crazy um and it was packed in center yeah yeah, it was it was just I had a great time and I was lucky enough to uh, score a ticket to get in and I want to thank the good folks at uh Oxy and um, Chemical Bank and whoever else it was that I was representing that allowed me to go do that. So fun times, fun times, fun times. All right, AJ. Well, hey, um, anything else that we haven't talked about? I mean, we've I've blathered on more than you have. Jeez, come on. Not at all. Hour and 10 minutes. Well, hey, how about this? Let's end with this. I'm sorry that COVID has interrupted this inaugural season, if you will, of 10 teams. It sucks, uh, but I'm glad that the uh, we were able to finally, 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 even after I gave you a hard time that first year in Columbus, I'm glad we were able to finally <laughs> do right by A.J. Bolden and get Utah into the Western Collegiate Hockey League. No longer are you the lone independent in the West. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to see what the uh, what the future holds for uh, Utah. Absolutely in uh for the western collegiate hockey league so thanks for uh thanks for thanks for putting up with me and not giving me that finger the very first time we met there in columbus no, so. not at all sir or and, any uh, other thanks. time since then <laughs> <laughs> well you know there's 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 timing to everything and you've had ample uh, opportunity you know <laughs> yeah oh it's, it's been a good ride but i think what you know what gives me a little bit of pause is knowing that it's not just impacting our program right it's all all 72 division one teams and all 500 plus ACHA teams and every other hockey program and sports program in the States and around the world, you know, it's, it sucks for everybody. 
It does. It does. But hey, we're, we're glad to have you. We're glad to have you on this WCHL podcast thing. You probably didn't even know it existed, did you? I did. Come on. I appreciate the invites. Uh, no, you, you've said it a few times. You know, uh, we have, we only have like 11 or 12 listeners. So <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of scary. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're doing what we can. So, Hey, I appreciate you giving us some insight into Utah. I appreciate you putting up with me and my baloney and, uh, look forward to, hopefully we'll be able to get on the ice in January and actually Great. have a, uh, uh, have a tournament, a national championship. I guess we're going to have a playoff too. For the first time, which will be interesting, and then uh, yeah, hopefully we can get after it. We'll we'll have AJ or we'll have maybe we'll have Coach Feeney on in the in the spring semester. Tell us all about okay. working for AJ Bolden. He can get dish the dirt. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, hang tight there. We just want to uh, thank everybody for listening to the uh, WCHL podcast for listening to me uh, blather on, and I appreciate AJ Bolden being on this uh, edition of the WCHL podcast. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. I don't know where that is. SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Twitter. I don't know where it is. Uh, but <laughs> thank you for uh, for listening. And uh, follow the Western Collegiate Hockey League. It's on Facebook um, at Western CHL. It's on Twitter at Western CHL. One of these days, probably this weekend, I will update the Western CHL website to include Utah, UNLV, and Grand Canyon on there. And I might even get rid of Arkansas. You never know. Um uh, but in the meantime, we just want everyone to be safe, wash your hands, wear a mask. Let's, uh, hope we get through this pandemic and, uh, Hey, we got an election coming up. I don't care how you vote. Well, I do, but, um, I really just care that you vote. So, uh, get out there and uh, take care of yourself and we'll be back next week. So, uh, without Andrew, I guess it's going to be up to me to say, uh, hang tight, stay safe, and we'll talk to you later.